Good evening. Thank you. It is wonderful to it's wonderful to see you guys tonight. Um, every week is crazy. I know you're in you're in the MotCon letdown and you're trying to make it to break and you've got midterms and thanks for being here. It's a joy to get to be here with you. I've been I've been looking forward to tonight. The, the passage tonight this this won't make your experience of it any more special. But this this is the reason I wanted to do this whole series is because of the way that this. This particular passage uh, struck me. We're continuing this series we're doing all semester called The Questions from Jesus. And we're looking each week at these, at these different questions that Jesus asks people that he encounters. And we're allowing him, we're inviting him to ask us these questions. We're trying to face that together. And so we're looking tonight towards the end of Matthew 9. Um, Jesus has, uh, as we come to the end of Matthew 9 here in verse 27, he's been doing incredible things. And in fact, there's two stories that in Matthew come right before this that we're actually going to talk about later, uh, out of order here of what in the text, but later this semester because they kind of have to go together. I didn't want to do one before break. But earlier in Matthew 9 is when Jesus is on his way to heal the daughter of uh, who is on her deathbed and on his way, a woman who is really sick, touches his cloak and is healed. He turns around and says, who touched me? Uh, that's actually just happened. And then he goes and he brings this little girl back from the dead. And then we come to this story in uh, the end of Matthew 9. So uh, if you have your Bible, it's Matthew 9, 27, or it's printed on your handout. It'd be great for you to have it in front of you as I read. Verses 27 to 31. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame through all that district. This is God's word. It's absolutely true. He gives it to us because he loves us. You pray with me, please. And then we'll get started. Lord, I do pray that you would let us become more aware of your presence. I, I pray that would be the case right now and, and in every moment of our life more and more. Grateful for the way that you are with us. And I pray that you would be with us right now, Holy Spirit, that you would work through your word in our own hearts so that we might know you and love you more and love one another. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We, we all have things that, uh, things that we claim things that we say that we're a part of, see that we, things that we say we're interested in, things that we say we're experts in, but we're not necessarily all in. Uh, there's a, an Office episode when Charles Minor is the new boss at the office. This is when Michael has started the Michael Scott Paper Company, the Dream Team episode, if you want to look it up later. That's your takeaway. And turns out that Charles Minor, who's this kind of uh, in, imposing and uh, emotionless figure, is really into soccer. And so everyone in the office starts pretending to suck up that they are really into soccer. And they're all kind of making up, oh, I'm, you know, I'm really into this soccer player. Oh, did you see my screensaver was, you know, a famous soccer player, uh, you know, Euro League team. And uh, he turns to Jim, who we love. He said, Jim, are, are you a fan? And Jim says, no, I'm not really a fan. It's because I'm more of a player. And Jim uh, starts talking about how he, he just loves the game, loves to play the game. And Dwight realizes that what is happening is that Jim is sort of making this claim to something, but it's not real. It's not real. It's not all in. And so he says, really? Huh, you never talk about it. You and Charles should, should kick the ball around. And Jim's like, yeah, we should do that. And Dwight says, how about today after work? 
And so Jim gets suckered into this plan to play soccer. Of course, we find out later that he actually did used to play soccer from grades two to four. He was on the orange team. And as you know, he's not very good at soccer. And Phyllis ends up getting hit in the face really hard with soccer ball because he ducks. What, what Jesus is doing in this passage is this kind of moment of questioning and exposing something in terms of our faith in the same way. For, for many of us, there are aspects of life with God, and I, and I know not everyone who comes to REF is a Christian, but for those of you who say you're a Christian, for many of us at certain times and in certain ways, there's aspects about life with God that we say we believe in, that we say we love, that we say we want to follow, that we say we're a part of, that we say we represent. And Jesus asks us this question, and his, and his question reveals, are we really all in? Are we really all about that, or is it just something we like to talk about? Is it something we just like to claim that we're a part of? And this question that Jesus asked today is, do you believe that I am able to do this? And he asked this because Jesus wants us to know, he's challenging us, that sort of a vague affinity with God is not what he is after. An arbitrary proclamation that you're a part of some faith is not what he's after. He actually wants more from us. He's actually calling us to a true faith. And so what we're going to do tonight is we're going to look at this story and see what true faith in this story really is. And we'll, and we'll see three things about it. First, true faith is persistent, it's personal, and it's perceiving. True faith is persistent, it's personal, and it's perceiving. So first, true faith is, is uh, persistent. One of the strange things about this story, and it even can seem at first a little out of character of Jesus is that he's walking along and, and as usual, he's got kind of his own disciples with him and probably a crowd of other people following him. And he's on his way to a house, maybe Peter's house in Capernaum. We're not exactly sure. And these two blind men, they've obviously heard of Jesus. And they've probably heard about what Jesus is doing. And the thing that is of particular interest to these blind men is that they've heard that Jesus has been doing incredible, incredible miracles of healing. He is healing people who are sick. He's healing people who are lepers. He's helping people to walk who have been lame. He's healing the blind. And so they have heard about this, and they're aware that Jesus is walking by, and they cry out to him, Son of David, have mercy on us. And when they say have mercy on us, they're not saying, generally speaking, have mercy on us. They're saying, we're blind, help us heal us. This is an explicit ask to be healed. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't do anything. He sort of just keeps on walking. And we're going to see that Jesus is doing this on purpose, that he's drawing something out of them. But do, do you ever feel like that, that you're calling out to Jesus for something in your life, you're crying out to God, and you just don't get the answer that you want right away? Do you know that feeling? I, I, know, I know you knew that feeling. I know that feeling very well. And it can be very frustrating when we... <laughs> We believe God. We think he's there. We think he hears us. We think he's powerful. We think he's good. Why isn't he giving me what I want? Why isn't he solving my problems? Why isn't he fixing my brokenness? Some of the stuff we ask for is really good stuff. And Jesus doesn't always give us what we want right away. And, and I think the reason that he doesn't do this is actually on purpose. Because I think Jesus wants to show us that he's inviting us to something more than him just to be a person that we call out to once when we need him. He's actually inviting us to, to a, a persistent faith. He's actually inviting us to do what these two blind men did, which is that even though 
they were seemingly ignored, even though they got that radio silence from God that we can so often experience, they kept following him. They kept going after him. They stayed with Jesus, and they followed him. And they followed him right into the house. The, the kind of persistent faith that I think Jesus is inviting us to is the kind of faith that says, you know, I'm calling out to you, Jesus, and I'm asking for help from you, Jesus, but the thing I want most is just you, and so I'm going to keep coming to you. I'm going to keep following you. The, the verse that I think of in these kind of moments when I'm not getting what I want is actually just a couple chapters later in Matthew 11 when Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. And I have found that in the quiet moments of my own heart when I am calling out to God for help, when I am telling him that I need him, what I most often experience him saying back to me is that verse from Matthew 11, come to me. Keep coming to me. Keep coming to me. Keep coming to me. Because he knows that what is best for me is to be a person who is coming to him. And what I think he wants most of us is for us to keep coming to him, to keep trusting him. Even when we don't get what we want right away. And developing this kind of persistent faith is actually really, really difficult. You, you guys are growing up in the Amazon Prime generation. I was talking to someone, uh, if you want something, you literally, all you have to do is wait about 36 hours at maximum. And you can have basically anything in the world in 36 hours. Because they say it takes two days, it usually takes one day. I grew up, I'm so old, you guys, that when I was first married and we had Netflix, we had to wait for the DVDs to arrive in the mailbox. I mean, this is ancient stuff, okay? You guys live in a culture of instant gratification, of you should be able to get whatever you want exactly when you want it. And God says, I actually want to, want to create in you the kind of hearts that are okay to sit and wait on me even when you don't get what you want right away. Because what you need most of all is actually not getting the things to solve all your problems. What you need most of all is to cultivate a kind of heart that comes to me again and again and again. That's why, that's why Christians like do the same things over and over and over again. That's why you, you don't just go to church once and then like you're churched and you're good. It's why you go every week. It's why we don't just take communion once in our life. We, we, we take it again and again and again with whatever regularity your church does that. It's why Christians don't just, you know, I've read the Gospel of Matthew. I never have to, I'm going to keep reading it. I'm just going to keep reading it my whole life. I've said the Lord's Prayer once. I've probably said it now a gajillion times. I'm going to keep saying it again and again. We do these things to cultivate that persistent faith. I, I'm, I'm trying to be very careful here because I'm not a cool podcast person. I am not a cool podcast person. I very occasionally listen to this one podcast called The Moth which is just people telling stories. So each time, and they, it's, it's recordings of these live events of people who just tell stories. And so it's just fascinating. And sometimes they're boring and lame, and sometimes they're fascinating. And I listened to a story on my way to Charlottesville last week about a woman who was a, a receptionist in L.A. at an advertising firm, and she hated her job because instead of uh, being involved in the creative side of uh, marketing and advertising, she only got a job as a receptionist. And what she ended up doing is that they, 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 they fired the travel company and she spent all day long booking flights and hotel rooms and car rentals and setting up drivers for the executives in the office who traveled every week. That's what she did every single day, nine to five. And, and she wanted to remember and remind herself who she was. So she made a, an iron on sweatshirt that said, I am not a travel agent. And every single day she would go home and put on that sweatshirt and just sit on her couch. Every single day. She's trying to 
create this persistent rhythm every single day to remind herself who she is. That's, that's why we read our Bibles. We're putting on a shirt every single day that says, I am a beloved of the Father. Jesus died for me. That's what, we're, that's what we're doing. It cultivates this kind of persistent faith where we keep coming to Jesus. And that's what we see these two blind men doing. True faith is persistent. Secondly tonight, uh, true faith is, is personal. And I, I want to focus here on what these guys say to Jesus and then ultimately the question that he responds. They call out to Jesus and they say, Son of David. When you hear Son of David in, in the Gospels, and it's, it's used a lot in Matthew, this is actually the first time it's used in, in the Gospel of Matthew, and it's used later on in other Gospels. Son of David means Messiah. Son of David is a reference to the promises that God made in the Old Testament in places like 2 Samuel 7, where he promised David that one would come after him who would sit on his throne forever, and his kingdom would never end. These guys are saying, we know that you are the one God promised who is going to rule and reign with power and love forever in God's kingdom. So they're saying an incredibly beautiful and insightful and true thing about Jesus. They make this proclamation of who he is. And despite that, Jesus asks them this question, do you believe that I am able to do this? And I find it a little weird at first. Another little strange moment that people who have already kind of professed to believe that he is the king, the true king of Israel, the holy one of God, that he asks them if they believe that he is able to do this. And I think that the reason that Jesus does this, what the heart of the matter is, is that Jesus is saying, you may know who I am. You may say what's true about me, but do you really trust me with the personal nitty gritty areas of your life and heart? There is a difference between acknowledging who God is and actually trusting him with your personal life, with your personal needs, with your personal fears, with your personal longings, with your own brokenness and sin and damage and pain. Jesus says, do you trust me with that? Not just do you know who I am. Do you trust me with what is really going on with your life? And that's why he asked them. Do you believe that I am able to do this? He says, he's saying, are, are you following me and trusting me with this particular area of your personal life? And that's a question that I want, you to, I want you to think about. I want you to wrestle with tonight and this week. What are the areas of your life? What are the places in your heart that God might be asking, do you trust me with this? You say you believe in me, but are you trusting me with your future? Are you trusting me with your relationships? Are you trusting me with your brokenness and your sin? Are you, are you trusting me with your story? Are you trusting me with your body? Are you trusting me with your decisions? Are, are you trusting me or are you just arbitrarily acknowledging that I, am, that I exist and I am real? He actually invites us into something more. I, I've been saying each week that the questions of Jesus always reveal something in us and invite us to something in him. What this question reveals is, what this question is, is the places in your life and your heart that you may not really trust me with. The rooms that you say, I don't really want you to come into. Some, sometimes there's rooms that we don't even know Jesus is allowed into. We're not even thinking about it. There's other rooms that we, we really don't want him in there. We don't want him to know about it because we don't want to have to deal with what might happen if we bring that before God? Have you, have you stopped praying for someone in your life, an unbelieving friend or family member, because you think 
It's never going to happen. Have you stopped fighting temptation in a sin area of your life because you, you just can't really believe you're ever going to get better because you haven't done it yet? But where have you stopped trusting? Jesus invites us to trust him in a personal way, in a way that includes every area of our particular, real, personal life. And I'm talking about persistent and personal faith, and it can feel a little bit like, hey, just believe more, because this kind of persistent and personal faith leads us to something. That Jesus calls us to that because he's inviting us to this faith that sees, that's perceiving. And when I say faith, true faith is perceiving, I mean it's a faith that sees Jesus. A faith that, that sees Jesus. Now, I, I don't think anyone in here is blind. I want to not, like, assume that. We, there's a blind man who comes, who comes to my church. It, it's one of those things that you read about, and it's kind of hard to imagine. Like, there's some people in situations like, oh, that's a really self-righteous person. I can relate to that. There's other people in situations like this that it's really hard to relate to. So I want you to, I want you to try to imagine for a second. You, you're the same age you are now. You're 18, you're 19, 20, 21, 22, and you've never seen anything in your whole life. You've heard, and you've smelled, and you've tasted, and you've touched, but you've never seen anything. And you live in a culture which says that if you can't really see, then you can't really contribute, so you're not really valued at all. And so because you have been blind, you're an outcast. Because you've been blind, you're poor. Because you've been blind, you're lonely, and you're only able, like these two men, to sort of commiserate about your life together with other people who are in the same lonely, rejected place that you are. And these two lonely, poor outcast, blind men, are asked this question by Jesus. Do you believe that I am able to do this? Do you have real personal faith in me? And they answer yes. And then this incredible moment happens. Or even though they can't see, all of a sudden they feel the gentle fingers of Jesus on their faces touching their eyes. The very place of their brokenness, the very place of their shame, the source of their loneliness and their poverty, that's where they feel the gentle touch of Jesus. And they hear his voice saying, according to your faith, be it done to you. What Jesus is saying when, they say, when you hear those kind of things, what Jesus is saying is that I delight in the trust in me that you are offering right now. I delight in it. And so all of a sudden, what was dark in front of them starts to become light. And all of a sudden, what is blurry in front of them starts to become focused. And all of a sudden, these hazy lines and shapes turn into the eyes and the nose and the cheeks, and the beard, and the hair of the Lord Jesus who is smiling at them. And the very first thing they ever see in their whole life is the smile of the Lord Jesus on them. It's the first thing they ever see. Paul says we walk by faith and not by sight. That's 2 Corinthians 5. We walk by faith and not by sight. But as we... As we trust Jesus, as we come to him with this kind of persistent and personal faith, we actually start to experience who he is more and more. We experience him in his word. We experience him in songs that we sing. We experience him in the beauty of the created order, mountains and sunsets and trees. We experience him when we enjoy and appreciate justice and mercy and generosity. We see him in the love of a friend. We start to see him everywhere. We start to see. 
And the more we come to Jesus with this kind of persistent and personal faith, we actually start to experience a measure, a measure of healing and wholeness, even in this life, a measure of it. That the way that Jesus delights in us and accepts us starts to heal the places we've been burned and rejected by others. That the way that Jesus tenderly cares for us and reaches out to us starts to heal the ways we've been hurt by other people. Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection from the grave starts to heal our own shame and brokenness of our own sins and mistakes. To some degree, to some measure, we actually start in this life through faith to experience wholeness and healing. I, I, I want to offer you a, a couple things by way of application here because the, the question that you're asking is, okay, like how do I do this? How do I get better at this? This is sort of the, the weird question of faith in Christianity is how do I do it better? How do I believe more? How do I grow in that kind of persistent and personal faith that leads to experiencing Jesus more? So I, I, have, I have four suggestions for you, okay? The, the first is that we need each other for this. This is the thing I say every week, spoiler alert. If you want to be coming to Jesus again and again and again, you need to surround yourself with people who will push you in that direction. Because when Jesus doesn't answer you the way that you want right away, you start to get tired and you start to get frustrated and you start to get lazy and you start to look for fun elsewhere. We all know it. We all do it, right? So you actually need to surround yourself with friends who will point to you. The, the second one is um, to read and pray the Psalms. I'm a big fan, and, and what Christians have been doing for all of the church's history is to regularly read and pray the Psalms. This, that's one of the things we do at Common Prayer every week, by the way, if you want to come check out Common Prayer. We always read a psalm together. And the psalms are really beautiful because they give us language to use to God in our prayers. When we feel like God isn't giving us what we want, it gives us words like, How long, O Lord, will you make me wait? How long will you be silent? It gives us words when we're, when we're craving the nearness of God and we don't have it. We get words like, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, oh my God. It gives us words to pray when we feel lost and overwhelmed by our sin. If you, O oh Lord, would mark iniquities, O oh Lord, who could stand but with you there is forgiveness. It gives us words to pray when our hearts are struggling in these kind of ways. So that's my second one, to read and pray the Psalms. The, the third way, and this is a way to grow in, in that kind of personal faith and a way to bring all our needs to Jesus. One of the things that I feel like we don't talk about enough is, is the practice of confessing your sins to God. Is that something that is built into your prayer life? If you're someone who reads the Bible and prays every day, is part of what you're doing confessing your sins, being honest with God about your places of brokenness so that you might hear, hear the words of grace and forgiveness and love and freedom and power that come from him who died for you? That's just low-hanging fruit that you could have. You could experience more freedom and more personal trust if you build that into your prayer life. The, the last thing you could do, this is a little journal exercise, just make a list of all the things this week that are making you anxious. Just write them down. And then let Jesus ask you one by one, do you think that I am able to do this? Do you think that I am able to carry you through this? Do you think that I am strong enough for this? Let him ask you and then say out loud, yes, Lord. Even if you don't feel it, practice it. Practice saying it, practice trusting him. We can actually experience a measure in this life, a measure of experiencing Jesus more and of experiencing the wholeness and healing. But, but in many ways, we're still going to live by faith and not by sight. And in many ways, too many ways, we're still going to walk in the, 
the pain and the sorrow of the brokenness of ourselves and of this world. I've been, um, I've been thinking about this passage a lot since Sunday. I got, I got really sad news on Sunday that my grandfather passed away. I, I, I called him Granddaddy. He lived in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. He was 85 years old and um, li- lived a, a, a really good life in many ways and got to live to see five great-grandchildren, four, four of whom are are my children, and I've been, I've been thinking this week about this, this story because the thing that I am uh, hoping for and the thing that I am longing for for myself and that I've been trying to process and understand even as I deal with the sadness of the loss of my granddaddy is that e- each of us will close our eyes one day and pass away from this life. And then this incredible thing is going to happen. You're going to feel on your face the gentle fingers. And you're going to hear Jesus say, Ashley, Camilla, Connor, Abby, Lewis, Chris, wake up. And you're going to open your eyes, and the first thing you're going to see is the smile of the Lord Jesus. And his face is going to be so radiant that if you were to see it now as he really is, it would, it would actually blind you. But in that moment, it's only going to fill you with awe and wonder and hope and joy and peace. And he's going to say, just like he said to so many people while he was walking on this earth, get up. And you're going to stand and he's going to lead you into this life, which is really the real life, the true life, where there's no more death and no more tears and no more pain, and no more shame, and no more sorrow, no more regrets, no more insecurity, no more anxiety. Just perfect peace, and perfect joy, and perfect love. He's going to lead you into that, where faith is going to become sight. That's actually true for us, if you know the Lord Jesus. And so we carry on now, even though we walk by faith and not sight right now, even though we walk in brokenness and pain right now because he is leading us he is drawing us to something deeper to an actual day when faith's going to become sight let's pray lord jesus could that be could that even be true it seems too good but you are the god of hope and i pray that you would fill us with joy and peace in believing so that that kind of hope would would empower us Lord, give us strength and courage to have persistent faith to keep coming to you. Lord, give us the the faith to trust you enough with personal faith to actually bring all of who we are to you. Lord, you, you draw us that. Help us to trust you enough to know that you draw us into that because you love us and you want to bring us to that day when faith becomes sight. May it be so. In Jesus' name, amen.